Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. Micah 5.2 records a promise for Bethlehem. Though she be the least of all the towns of Judah, out of her will rise up the Messiah. There is in God's economy a compensation for those who find themselves sinking down the list from greatest to smallest, from best to least. The Christmas story teaches us over and over again God's way to riches. The meek shall inherit the earth. Just a little statement. Micah's kind of pattern in this book is Micah speaks at a high point. He's speaking actually at a good time in the nation of Israel. But he, at the same time, sees the spiritual demise of the people. And he speaks prophesying of the judgment that's going to come upon them because of their spiritual sin. At the same time, after Micah lifts up the judgment that comes upon them, he then flashes forward to the promises yet awaiting for them. And so you'll find a statement of judgment, then a statement of promise. And so the statement of judgment is, the troops are going to come against you, they're going to lay siege against you, they're going to strike your leaders with a rod on the cheek, but now a promise in the future. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now again a bit of judgment. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that he who is in labor is given birth, now promised then. Speaking of when the Messiah returns and comes to reign, then the remnant of his brothers shall return to the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. I like to tell my kids every once in a while of stories. I was a dreamer as a young boy, and I always was dreaming of greatness. If it was out in front of the basketball hoop, I was winning at the last second shot, the NBA National Finals, you know, we were the NBA champs, world champs. If I was playing football, I was catching the pass that won the Super Bowl. If I was playing army, I was destroying all of the enemy in front of me. It didn't matter what it was. I was always dreaming of greatness. Unfortunately, there were times as I was growing up in which my dreams of greatness met reality. And I began to slip from the list. One of those stories was when I was in seventh grade. I had thought myself to be quite a good little basketball player and tried out with all the hundreds of boys that tried out for the basketball team. There were so many of us that they couldn't have one team. They had to have four. They had to have an A team with about 12 kids on it, and a B team, and a C team, and a D team. Well, I was pretty sure I'd make the A team. Tried out, thought I did pretty good, did all my best to use all my best form. The day came when they posted on the list who made which teams, and I looked on the list and was disappointed to see that I wasn't on the A list. I went through it all, tried to find my name, and, but that's all right, I could, I'll be on the Bs. And went through the B list to find my name and was stunned to find that I wasn't on the B list. It was just totally embarrassing to think that I was going to be on the C team. The C team! Then I began to go through the C list and was devastated <laughs> to find that I was on the D team. Now, at my high school reunion about seven years ago, I bumped into another former D team player and he reminded me that we beat the C team in almost every scrimmage. So, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to slip from the list. 
You know, it's hard to see your name going down further and further. And maybe some people felt that way as they've been watching their stocks over the last few weeks, going from an A stock to a B stock to a D stock to no stock whatsoever. Someone told me that they think they're in debt to their broker now. They just own brokerage <laughs> fees and that's it. I once heard a message from a pastor who had been for a number of years the pastor of one of the largest and most significant churches in Canada, or a church that was making one of the more immediate impacts on the evangelical scene of Canada. And by now he was an older man, and he had fallen out of favor with his board, and they had dismissed him. It had been an incredibly humbling experience for him. He was speaking at a conference I was at, and I just remember one memorable phrase, which was, there is no graceful way to climb down from a mountaintop. The descent from that pinnacle oftentimes is discouraging and humbling, and few things are more difficult to stomach than to slip from and slide off of the list. As great as the story is of a person who goes from rags to riches, so sad is the story of the person who goes from riches to rags. That individual goes from the pinnacle to the pit, from being the top banana to slipping on a banana peel. That person who thought that they had position and found out later on that they were just an imposition. It's a hard story to watch. In fact, it's hard for us to witness it. It's even difficult for us to witness it in people who deserve it, you know, who get their comeuppance. We have an example of like that in Scripture. There was Manasseh, who happened to be the most wicked king that Judah had ever known. He had set up in the temple of God a altars and the pagan gods, and he worshipped the sun and the moon, and he put to death the priest of God until the blood of the priest, it said, flowed to the horse's bridle throughout Jerusalem. An obvious hyperbole, but a statement of the kind of death that he brought over his city and all of the abuse of this great power he had. As a result of it, the Assyrians took over the city and grabbed hold of Manasseh, and we read in 2 Chronicles 33:11 that they led him away into captivity in Babylon. The picture is quite telling. Let's read it actually. 2 Chronicles 33:11. I had it just as a reference, but here is this great man of power, this man who has thought that he's something, a man who thought he was so powerful that he could reestablish the form of worship in the nation of Israel and controvert all that God had given them to do. But then we read in verse 10, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks and bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. Now that phrase, it took him with hooks, is an interesting statement. It, it actually is, they put a hook in his nose. They put a ring in his nose and they put chains upon it and they literally led him away to Babylon being pulled along by his nose. There's the picture of a person who thought he was something great. And now he's being dragged by his nose off into captivity. A humbling experience. Actually, there's a wonderful story there. What God did in the process of humbling that wicked king. But that's the picture. The Lord kind of gives advice, recognizing the shame of losing your standing in position. He gives this advice to the Pharisees who thought they were something important in Luke chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. There, he directs them away. He seeks to spare them from sliding off of the list of their supposed importance and their dreams of greatness. He writes there, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man 
And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. There's some advice for you. These plummets are hard to bear, and so start off humble. It's difficult to go through that experience or path in which you are led into abject humiliation, where you go from your dreamed-of successes to the real failures of life, from mirth to mourning and from victory to defeat. Maybe you've experienced that before. Maybe each one of you, I'm almost certain each one of you could share even more contemporary stories than going back to your childhood of moments in which you thought you had attained something or were something, and then you were very quickly reminded that you weren't. Moments in which you had thought you had established some stature among others and found out that the whispers in the halls without you were different than you had thought. It's a humbling thing. But God has a plan in all of this. God has planned a compensation for those who find themselves in the pits, those who find themselves at the point of defeat, in the midst of our weaknesses, in the midst of, our bleak, of the bleakness of life, God is seeking to shape within us a meekness that he can bless, a place at which, through that pathway, he humbles us. He brings us to meekness, and there he compensates us with something far greater and better than our dreams and our fanciful ideas. That's what Matthew 5.5 5 is talking about when it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek is really a person who has no boast in himself. He has no more dreams for himself from himself. He has no standing that he's claiming for himself. He has no defense for himself. He's been brought low and it's at that point that God crafts something for them so great, such a compensation that it is equal to the inheriting of all the earth. The story of Bethlehem is a wonderful illustration to us of the truth of Matthew 5.5. 5. It's a wonderful illustration of this compensating grace to the one who is low. Bethlehem was about two to three hours walk from the city of Jerusalem. It was approximately six miles away. It was in a sleepy little hamlet or valley that was amphitheater around by hills. On those hills, the sheep were fed that were offered up in the temple for sacrifice. On those hills around Bethlehem, they found good pasture, and the shepherds of Bethlehem were busy caring for them. The valley and below the hills was a valley full of productiveness. It was a fruitful valley. In fact, Bethlehem means house of bread. So not only did you have wonderful sheep all around, but you had wonderful fields around in which the grain was grown that made for the bread that the people ate. And Ephrata is another word there, Bethlehem Ephrata. Ephrata means fruitful. I imagine there were vineyards there as well. And the fruitful vines that people could drink from. And so it was the house of bread and fruit. This wonderful place, this idyllic setting. Here is what the condition is when this promises made by Micah in 5.2. In other words, Micah says there's a promise coming to Bethlehem, and this is how Micah sees Bethlehem at the time in which this promise will come in their lives. He says of Bethlehem in 5.2 that she will be small, that she will be the least of thousands of Judah. Now, there were tribes, and there were clans, and there were families in Judah. These tribes were the 12 tribes, and then within the tribes there were multitudes of clans, and then with each 
clan, there were multitudes of families. Each one of those families usually had a region or a little community or town that they lived in, and those would be considered the thousands in the tribe of Judah. And here he says of Bethlehem that they are the least or little among the thousands of Judah. The word there basically means you are scarcely big enough to be reckoned with. Interestingly enough, when Joshua goes in and gives Judah the inheritance of the region that is now called Judah, the land that is now called Judah, and he gives it to the tribe of Judah, they list all of the towns that are there. It's in Joshua chapter 15. Last night I went through and I've forgotten the number, but I read all the names. I counted all the names of all the cities and all the towns that were there, and they're all listed there. But at that time, when Joshua was giving it to the people, Bethlehem wasn't big enough to be mentioned. It's not even on the list. And there are, it's a large chapter, and there are a lot of names of a lot of towns and villages there in the region of that, what became known as the geographical region of Judah that was occupied by the tribe of Judah. And out of that then formed various clans that went to their different areas where they held it, and then different families who lived in certain pockets and areas around there, and Bethlehem was one of those areas, and it's considered to be the least. It's considered to be too small to be reckoned with. She is insignificant. She is seemingly weak. But here, Micah says, is a compensation for this insignificant and seemingly weak Bethlehem. You've been listening to the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry in the community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. And to learn more about how you can be involved in our mission calling, go to cpeonline.org. That stands for Church Partnership Evangelism, cpeonline.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.